Hey, what's up? Welcome to Basecraft. So I'm here getting ready for a tour. I'm leaving for England in about three days for a two week tour. And it's pretty crazy considering in the last 18 months, I've only done two concerts in front of people. And now next from starting on Monday, I'm going to be doing a concert every day for 14 days, 14 gigs in a row. Um, yeah, really look forward to it, but I'm not really thinking about it right now because the practicalities of going away for that long of a tour after the big break is crazy you know it, before it was nothing it's like you always had your stuff ready at all the, the cables and your spare base spare amp whatever and now i'm just like what the hell do i need to go away for that long on a tour how many spare things do i need how many underpants do i need how many socks do i need all that practical stuff that's really boring so once i've that down i just want to chill out and enjoy the tour once we get on the ferry on monday morning so really looking forward to that if you want to follow my me on tour just follow me on instagram at Stephen mcgrath so it's great to get this episode out just before I leave. I was chatting to Nick Campbell there about two weeks ago. And um, yeah, it was really nice to get to talk to him because um, I just completed his course on SPL. Um, it's like a pentatonic voice leading. I think that's the name of it. And I um, really enjoyed his course. So I reached out to him on Instagram and said, hey man, that was a really um, insightful thing. Do you want to come in for a chat? And he was well up for it. So yeah, Nick Campbell, he's getting very well known at the moment. So he, a lot of people might have seen him doing like videos with Scary Pockets on YouTube. He's played with Wolfpack and Pompaloose, loads of bands. But at the moment, he's actually working on his debut album, Art, which is going to be out next year sometime. I've listened to it. He gave me a private SoundCloud link and it's awesome. Really enjoyed it. Like it's song based, you know, there's some amazing bass playing on it, but it's all songs that him and his... Um, co-writers on some of the tracks they wrote the lyrics together so they're singing on most of the songs and it's a really awesome album so you have to check that out when it comes out so we covered loads in the chat obviously we went through his bass beginnings um we talked about gear because he's well known for having some strange gear he has this music master bass with a mystery pickup which he doesn't divulge but he explains a lot about it anyway and the process of putting that bass together and just generally just talked about his bass career and his philosophy to life and bass and all that stuff that we always talk about on the show so yeah as usual like subscribe wherever you're listening and watching this and um yeah i'll see you in a minute great man well dude good to meet you man yeah thanks good. for having me no problem uh you kind of came into my sphere of uh attention base world attention through sbl i'm sure you're, you've got that a lot oh, cool. in, the, in the last few weeks people kind of getting wide to your plane through sbl yeah definitely i i uh it was cool a lot of people seem to like that the lesson thing i i put up there with them uh which is cool i really like those guys a lot they're good people scott scott's an awesome guy and did you think that was a big deal when you got asked to do it? Like, were you like thinking, Jesus, every bass world, every bass nerd in the entire world is going to know who I am as soon as this thing goes <laughs> up? <laughs> you know, honestly, I didn't really think about it much. I, I I play with a couple bands who like have pretty big followings on the mm. on the internet, and um, and it's like I, I just don't. I try not to like think about what goes on the internet. I, you know, so you know how it, it's weird. Like you put stuff online and it kind of feels like you're throwing it into the void and then like a couple months later like people come up to you and talk to you about it and you're like oh yeah i guess people watch it but i don't get to like most of the time it's almost like when you play like a big festival and then you just go backstage afterwards and you don't talk to anybody in the audience because like you just don't go outside you just stay backstage and you're like oh yeah that was fun <laughs> I, I do and go then, outside i get like a a bag of cans or not always drink but i go for a walk around but at nighttime usually <laughs> yeah 
it's just like yeah it, it kind of feels like that sometimes because like i don't like you don't get the immediate feedback so uh yeah i don't know i was just i was very flattered that they asked me and uh, i mean that the the first thing they asked me to do i did an interview on scott's youtube channel um about like some of my vintage bases and weird mm. mods and stuff that i have and uh and that was cool there were a lot of other really heavy bass players in the in the interview series so it, i felt very flattered that i was included among you know people like lee sklar and like adam blackstone and cats like that who i'm i'm big fans of yeah watch that video so that, or, that was very earlier cool. it's really good you, you've got a ser seriously cool collection of weird bases <laughs> oh thanks man yeah i i like them they're they're neat i mean it's funny it's like a lot of the time i sort of feel like i I, uh, I end up just playing like my 60s P bass on everything. And it's like, it's hard. It's just hard to beat that. It just always sounds the best. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to a bass player recently and he brought like some active five string thing to a session and the producer was just like, just leave and come back with a P bass. <laughs> 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 this isn't going to work. It's kind of like that. You have I'm, to bring a P bass. I'm not surprised. I mean, there's just something about recording a P bass. It just like perfectly sits in the mix for almost anything you'd want to record there are a couple things you know i was talking to my friend sean hurley about this um a little while ago do you know sean have you ever heard yeah his I, know, I know his stuff yeah really good yeah sean's great man he's one of my favorites and he's an awesome dude um but we were we we had a little bass hang a while ago at my house uh and we were talking about like p bass all the time but you need like one active five string just in case you it's it, it you actually need it you know it happens once every like hundred songs yeah but but you need one they, they sound good live. I, I think they, he's right live it. though they're good though a five string because like uh, a stadium can hold that sub like so you can really use that five yeah. string in a stadium like yeah they totally can be i mean i i tend to pretty much only play four string basses every now and then i'll play a, a five uh but I, yeah, I'm pretty like, I don't know. There's something about, I, I, for me, maybe it's just me, but there's something about the resonance of a four string bass where you hit the low E and it like feels huge. And then on a five string, it feels like really small and tight. And I just like, I just don't like that. I mean, there's certain, I've played a couple five strings that I like and, and there's certain people obviously who play five strings who are great and like, there's certain times or maybe if you want kind of like a lighter tighter sound like it's cool but there, i don't know you just can't like it just the e string doesn't sound the same to me on five string bases and i just like can't get over that most of the time no and what you gain from it you lose a lot more am i like just because you can get those extra few low, low notes you lose way more yeah so i couldn't be i think so yeah i mean most of the time i don't know and uh yeah there's just i don't know it's just octave i i like octave you can always you get the notes with octave pedals and stuff like that too so it's not like the, you're limiting the range of the instrument too much but they're definitely a different thing i mean um i the you know like i love mono neon when he plays a five string like i think he sounds great um but he also plays like really light on and and on and it kind of his touch is really specific and he plays an active five string he sounds awesome on everything yeah, he so, has a very weird it just style. Depends. He has a weird style though. Is he playing like right-handed but upside down? Left-handed upside down? Yeah, yeah, he does like the Jimmy Haslip thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hard to emulate that. You're, you either can do that or you can't. Yeah, I mean, it's weird how people learn. I, I can't even imagine doing that. My friend Nigel Hall, who mostly play, is like a keyboard player and singer, but he plays bass a little too. And he plays bass like that also because he's left-handed. He plays upside down. I just don't. 
and there are a lot of guitar players who did that you know like eric yeah. gales does that like a lot of ca- I, I just don't I don't know how people do. It's just so the fact that an octave is that it's just like I I don't I can't. It's so confusing to me. It's just like look, it I can't visualize it. <laughs> Very musical people who don't really think about the physical parts of the instrument. They're just playing the notes. <laughs> yeah, and I guess like if you if you learn an octave this way instead of that way, it doesn't feel weird. But no. if you spent your whole life thinking, the, the thing that trips me out about cats like mono who who play upside down. Is like when they're playing, if they play slap, which I almost never do, but Mono does it a lot. Like he has to do it backwards, but your right hand, or I guess it would be his left hand, and isn't backwards. You know what I mean? So you have yeah. to like hit it in reverse order. It's yeah, I get it. that, so that, weird. Yeah, that's bizarre. But he, he wouldn't be it's using tabs. Wild. He couldn't use tabs anyway. <laughs> they wouldn't make any yeah. sense. Be I, couldn't, I can't even imagine like, how would you do that? Well, I guess that's also he music, his music does sound a bit unusual because all his shapes and patterns. Well, he's very bebop as well. His vocabulary is bebop. Yeah, totally. Yeah, really chromatic and uh, yeah. I mean, he's 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 a great he's a great bass player. He's one of the few guys where like I hear him play an active five string. I'm like that. I I would like to sound like that. That's awesome. It, it, it brings most of the time. I'm trying to sound like Tim LaFave or Pino or <laughs> those yeah. kinds of guys who are all P bass four string guys. Yeah, he brings a smile to my face seeing Mono Neon because his music is so weird, and to see that he yeah. managed to become popular and make a name for himself, it's like there's yeah, hope for totally. whatever you're making your own music, no matter how weird it is. There's hope for everyone to get out there, like if it's good, like yeah, totally, man, totally, man. I was just watching a thing. My my friend Michael and I were doing a, a session together in in LA, and he showed me like a a live concert live stream concert they did last year with ghost note uh and it was a lot all acoustic kind of mostly acoustic instruments and it was so good it was so funky i like couldn't believe it was live i was like dang this is amazing (laughs) i i think those guys are awesome you were you were gigging today where are you this morning it actually at the very last minute got canceled (laughs) unfortunately (laughs) but Yeah, but I've been gigging a lot recently, which is sort of nice in the context of just the pandemic. It's been sort of like, you know, it's been a weird year for everybody. And the last month I've been like, I had a one-off with like a different band every week. So I was learning like a new set of music every week and it was pretty intense. And so now I have a little time off and uh, it, it feels good. And I can kind of, I finished a record this year. And so I'm going to mm. kind of work on trying to put it out probably in the beginning of next year sometime. So that's that's sort of what I'm focusing on for the rest of this month. You were busy though during lockdown. You you started your YouTube channel. You didn't have one before then, did you? It no, just... I I made a couple things, uh, and I've sort of taken a break on the YouTube side of things just to like uh, may uh, fin- do my record, uh, which I spent a lot of time on. And and uh, but yeah, I, I you know YouTube's interesting. I I I might start making more videos again. I I made a few, and then I kind of ran out of ideas and haven't come back to it. And since I play a lot with um. Pomplamoose and Scary Pockets, they they have put YouTube videos up every week. So I feel like I, I get enough of it through that. But I once my record comes out, I'll I'll probably start doing more stuff. I've been mostly focusing on that because I've been wanting to make more. You know, the YouTube thing can often be like very cover focused, which mm. can be great. And like doing arrangements of other songs is awesome. Um, but I've been really wanting to I'm like a lot more interested in making a original music and and the youtube algorithm isn't always like super great 
for that. And it sort of like requires a little more focus to kind of hone things the way that you want it. Like YouTube, a lot of the time requires you to kind of like upload constantly. So you have to find like a workflow where you can put something out every week. And if you want to make like original music at like a very, like at a record quality level, it's really hard to do that for YouTube. Uh, and also the algorithm doesn't pick it up because it's not a song that already exists. Yeah, yeah. So, Same. I've stepped uh, back as well. It's just too, it's a lot of work. Like I prefer Instagram. I just do like, I, I try to do like a 20 sec, well, a riff that would be on my phone. I make it into a 20 second song, but it's not like, it's just for me. It's just like, oh, I want to get this idea down and then I can look back in a yeah. few months at all the ideas. No, I do. I, I mean, I use Instagram very similarly. I mean, lately I've been gigging a lot, so I haven't been been doing this. But for a while, I was using it sort of like, oh, I'll just write a few different ideas a week and like see which ones I end up liking and what other how people respond to different ideas. And the ones I like just turn into full songs. And a lot of the ones that I did over uh, quarantine turned into tunes for a, a second record. I'm going to record with a couple friends. I don't. Do you know Jacob Mann or Christian Human? You yep. ever heard of those guys? They're yep. LA guys. Christian plays drums with Jacob Collier a lot. Okay. Um, and Jacob plays in the band Nowhere. He was a keyboard player and he also is great. Oh yeah, I love, band. That, I love that band. I'm trying to cover one of their songs at the moment. Um, oh, cool. One with Tim Lefebvre doing this. It sounds like a really easy bass line, but I can't get it. <laughs> just like, he's just Dude, playing Tim's, such a weird Tim's, rhythm or something. Yeah, Tim's stuff is so crazy. He He doesn't sound like anybody he's like so his vocabulary is so unique i don't know where he gets his stuff mm. from it's crazy he's like totally original um but anyway J christian and jacob and i have this band called shrek is love which is like a modern jazz troll band about the shrek movie and um and we're doing it, that band is with a singer named michael mayo who's I like checked, a great I checked jazz you out today yeah amazing singer. oh cool so really, thanks I, yeah dude he's he's a freak of nature man yeah that and you're, play, you're getting to play like really nice I know you're a big Jamerson guy, but you're doing a lot yeah. of that Motowny stuff in that band, and it's nice to see that side as well. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I that's like he's Jamerson is like one of my one of my favorites. Uh, and I just think like if you're gonna play anything R and B or funk or soul music associated, it's like the Jamerson is like the bedrock of where all that vocabulary comes from. It's like you can't really ignore him in that sort of area. Um, but yeah, so me, me, Christian, and Jacob are doing a trio record next year. We're going to record it, I think, in January is what it's looking like. And uh, a lot of the songs for it started as like little Instagram ideas I came up with that I then mm. arranged into like full pieces of music. And that, that's been cool. That feels productive. But it, YouTube doesn't really work the same way. No, it's it more wouldn't, really, about it wouldn't like, reward that like little ideas. You just get ignored. No. Yeah, it's like you have to do. I mean, it seems like. You know, I spent, I remember when I was like thinking about like, oh, maybe I should make my own YouTube channel just to have stuff out there. And I remember looking at what was on there and a lot of the bass players who do well on YouTube, a lot of them are really good players, but they either, you know, most of them are just like covering bass songs, just like straight from the record. And I just like, I have no interest in doing that personally. Mm. Yeah, um, me too <laughs> i think cause i've, I've done know? a good good few lesson videos but i got burned out because like i'm not really enjoying this and generally i never yeah. learn covers anyway so now i'm after kind of stopping <laughs> yeah so i i uh i i think i put it sort of on pause for a while uh just to focus on more original stuff that i find a lot that i'm more pa passionate about and especially once gig since gigging's been coming back a little bit and i've been doing a lot more recording sessions for other people and stuff it's like i haven't really felt like i 
needed to make more YouTube videos mm. where I I troll songs, you know, <laughs> no, you do with like weird re arrangements are brilliant, the reharmonies <laughs> and stuff. But do you like that Thanks, piece with a piano player? Do you like that that setting in a band, drum, piano, and vocal? Yeah, I love it's kind of classic. Like. I yeah, I love playing with trios. That's like one of my favorite. The, the trios are great because especially if you're playing with people that you really trust, you can kind of go anywhere. And since there are only three instruments, it's you can kind of all travel together in an amoeba. Like the smaller the ensemble is, the more room you have to kind of fill the space. Not necessarily with like density or complexity, but just with sort of like your personality if that makes mm. any sense, there's like, if, if you're only playing with two other people, you're a third of the sounds being produced. Yeah. And so everyone, everyone's voice shines in this really clear way. And if you're mm. playing improvised music, which I do a lot of, it doesn't, any person can kind of take the reins of where things are going to go. And it's easy for it, it for, to communicate with everybody else. Like yeah. the larger your ensemble gets, the more you have to have kind of a plan about what you're going to do and things have to be like more thoroughly arranged which is also great i mean large ensemble arrangements are awesome uh it, it's just a different thing and there's something really special about like like a lot of great trio arrangements can be like 85 percent realized and the 15 percent you can just like leave up to magic in the room in a way you mm. can't do that with like larger ensembles yeah uh, totally. and sometimes that's like the ideal amount you want to write you know, you like leave fifteen percent of the tune open and just be like, let's just see what happens when we're hanging out. Yeah. Uh, and it's hard to do that with larger ensembles. And that's I, I just I love trios. Quartets are like that too, but especially trios that it can that it can be a really special vibe if you have the right people. Yeah, I've been in a trio for the last eleven years doing our own music, and I completely cool. agree. You can get away with anything. Yeah. You can just you can take a song in any direction, and more than likely the other two guys are going to go with you. But when you start adding more people whether they're going to come with you or not, it becomes less likely. It's yeah. It's just, it's, it's tougher. I mean, it's, it's possible, but it, yeah, it's just, you need more, the more people you add, the more stuff's going on, the more you have to kind of think about things in advance. If you want to have a, a really good musical statement. I mean, you know, there, there are exceptions to that, obviously, like there's, there's certainly a lot of like large ensemble free music type things out there that are cool, but uh, in my, it, it just, it seems like a little easier. I, I, I like, I'll just say I like it with a tree. There's just something special about the, that format. Uh, and especially like I play a lot with Christian and Jacob. We do a lot of trio stuff together. And those guys have like, we have the exact same sense of humor. Uh, and it, it, there, I feel like in LA particularly, there's like kind of like, like funny modern jazz is like kind of a, a thing here uh and it's like a not in a lot of other places i mean i guess it's sort of internet-y so it, it's on the internet kind of but yeah. there's something about playing with people who like really know how to deeply inter, uh, improvise who also kind of like have a sense of humor about it where you can kind of like go places that are funny mm. and they get it because like some people they take jazz music or improvised music like so seriously that there's just no you can't make jokes while you're doing it it has to be this like deep thing which is can be beautiful but i i don't know i'm, I'm kind of a troll like i don't like to do that most of the time when i'm playing improvised music you know it's like it's it like i i, I do this arrangement of like um this Billy Eilish tune that's like put through the Coltrane matrix. And like we have, we, me and Christian and Jacob came up with this whole solo section. That's like, 
on cue we go to like a like a big band shout like just because it's funny and it's Mm. always funny and the thing i like about that kind of stuff is i feel like a lot of improvised music can get kind of stuffy and people who don't know a lot about jazz already often i think feel like very lost when they're listening to people make like meta comments on standards that they don't know because they're hundred year old pop songs. And we only know it because we went to music school Mm. and there's something kind of alienating about that. And I think humor can be like a good uh, sort of agent to kind of like include the audience in what's going on. Like you don't have to understand everything that's being referenced if there's something funny to latch onto. And I think there are a lot of people who are really good at that. And I, uh, I, I don't know me, me, I feel like me, Christian and Jacob have like a good, we have a good chemistry in that mm. area. Like I can make jokes on the bass that they'll respond to with their instruments. And that's it's like, they're not a lot of people. I like feel like I can do that with, you know? Yeah. Thundercat's kind of like that. His music is yeah. really musically advanced, but the lyrics are sometimes, you know, they're kind of Frank Zappesque, you know, silly. Lyrics yeah. Frank is a time. great, I, yeah, man. Frank is like one of my favorite favorite people and he's great at that like that's that's one of the things i what's one of the reasons why i think he's like he had such a big following among non-jazz musicians and like non-contemporary classical people mm. is because he he kind of let the audience in on the joke like he used absurdity as a way to kind of like make complexity palatable yeah which is, is something that i've always been like really in, inspired by because like i i hang out in places where like you know, like I, I've definitely gone to like free jazz concerts and like legitimately enjoyed them, but mm. I've also gone to them with like my girlfriend who's been like, I don't want to listen to any more of this. <laughs> and I totally get it. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's so hard to like, there's like a, I do feel like sometimes like in the jazz world, people don't realize what they're asking of the audience. Like there's, there's like a lot you don't know if you're just like a normal person going to like your average 2021 jazz Mm. concert. Like there's so many things being referenced that you've never probably never even heard about. And then they're happening at like five levels of, of abstraction away from like the original thing. Mm. That's like, how could you not feel like totally lost and confused all the time? I mean, most people like your average music listener, like can't even really, doesn't even really know how to feel a swing rhythm yeah like a you know what i mean like it's like so foreign to them all they've ever heard their whole lives are backbeats so like how would they really know how to like feel something that's like up swing and like not get lost you mm. know i remember when i was like 15 and trying to learn how to do that like i was totally foreign to me i had to really i had to really like study it yeah yeah it wasn't this something that like sense it's like what the hell is yeah going on? it's not like Frank Sinatra albums were on the radio and you kind of have an intuition about like how mm. it's supposed to feel, you know? Um, and sometimes when things get like in those kinds of settings, when it's like so technical and academic, I totally get why like normal people our age are just like, I don't understand what's going on. I, think I, I don't. Jazz is its own worst enemy though, as well. In a lot of ways, like I went, cause they have this kind of, you know, highbrow thing going on now, even though jazz was the pop music in the day. Like I, I went to see Sun Ra Orchestra one time at a jazz festival and it was oh, like, cool. it was sold out and I, I knew their music. I had their albums, but most people there just bought it cause they were like, 
bit pretentious they wanted to see some jazz so, <laughs> but half the audience yeah. left and then another quarter of them fell asleep and by the end of the Sun Ra gig it was only about 20 people left watching but if the gig had been on in like a normal bar I think people would have really enjoyed it because there's, there's a visual aspect to Sun Ra as well like a, a normal totally. crowd of music lovers probably would have got into it more than these people that were going for what was quote-unquote jazz and then those guys talking about going to Jupiter and Venus and it was too out there for them <laughs> Yeah, well, that that's the other side of it, like the uh, the the sort of jazz donor class of the audience is like they mm. want a very specific thing, you know. They they see themselves as people who are like so. Yeah, exactly. They're supporting high culture, but they're not really trying to see anything like super boundary pushing or or no. weird. Uh, but I think like I think one of the reasons why like bands like Noah or people like Thundercat or you know, Mono Neon is another great example. It's like people; those guys are all really good at using humor in ways that it's like, I know a lot of like normal people who like their music. Yeah. Which it, it just based on the face of how, how complicated their music is and how sophisticated it is should not be the case. Mm. Uh, and I think the fact that they sort of have an attitude, they, their music is complicated, but it's a lot of it's funny. And there's sort of like an, it, you, you get the same kind of like dopamine reward that you get from listening to like pop music. Mm. It's like constructed in the way the music works, but it doesn't sacrifice any of the sophistication to do it. And I I think that's really special. And yeah. Frank, I think, was great at that too. And he would also like in a context of like a set or an album, he would have he would drop these little like almost kind of pop songs, like the dopamine rush parts in specific places, so he could do like 30-minute contemporary classical, totally through composed odyssey and then you have the dopamine rush that like it makes it feel like you've been rewarded for dealing with something that antagonizes yeah. you. or even you know it, like it, 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 it's very thoughtful one, about that in one song you'll have like a riff like uh what's the song uh what is it i can't remember like some of them will have like a really hooky pentatonic riff and then he'll just go off yeah. for six minutes on some crazy so the muffin man that's the one i'm thinking of <laughs> oh yeah that's a that's a great one man dude i mean there's so many tunes like that like uh like zombie wolf is another great like that's a that's a fucking banger you know but it's also has all these like weird five eight like tritone they like there's a lot of stuff going on like it's like a really complicated piece of music and like mm. normal people can listen to it you know i mean it's weird it's not like there's definitely a difference between that stuff and like Katy perry songs obviously mm. but um i think it is like I think there is a cool space being developed right now of music that is really sophisticated. That's geared for like your sort of like non-musician adventurous listener that, and there's a lot of really cool things happening in that space right now. Yeah. Did you hear Kamazi Washington covering the Metallica song for the, the blackout? Man no. Oh and man. I got to listen so, to that. So I heard good. the St. Vincent one and I was like that. This is killing. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to listen to the Kamasi. No, one this too. one is good. He didn't use any Metallica music. He just used the lyrics from the song and just created oh, a whoa. completely new song. And it really works. So, you know, I'd say that will, that's cool. A few people, they're like, Whoa, this sounds really good. But it, he didn't use any Metallica music. He just used the lyrics. That's amazing. That's super cool. I'll have to listen to that. I've heard a couple things. It's from that like a uh, Metallica cover album. The, the Blacklist has like 50 yeah. or 60 covers. Yeah. I heard the Phoebe Bridgers one, which was really good. And the the uh, St. Vincent one, which was also really good. But I haven't listened to the other other ones on it. I'll have to check it out. 
But your own That's base awesome. plane is kind of hard to pigeonhole, especially I was watching that thing from SPL where you were showing off your bases and you have like this lo- load of music school vocabulary and then you turn into punk mode. So yeah, <laughs> I'd, li- I'd like to hear about your musical beginnings. I know you went to music school and all that, but I sure did, did you start as like a rocker and then you kind of got yeah. slowly drip fed kind of jazz, that kind of some kind something like that. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much what happened. So I went to I grew up in Los Angeles and I went to this um this sort of arts high school called Crossroads, a small uh, arts high school in Santa Monica. And I got, you know, like at that time uh there was like a period where everybody just like started to learn how to play guitar. It happens a lot like when people like 12 or 13 i don't know if that happens as much now i feel like people are are more like into beat making and stuff and it doesn't happen guitar i don't know yeah maybe it'll come back who knows Mm. um but uh yeah so uh hold on sorry let me tweak something on here i feel like my mic is clipping just a little bit okay i think that's a little better um so uh yeah so i got really into like uh like I got like a Squire electric guitar or something like that. And uh, I got really into like rock music and like pop punk bands and classic rock. And all. I was kind of going down that rabbit hole. I started off as like a big Green Day fan and stuff. I was like my, one of my first records. And then I got really into like Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix and like kind of like more guitar music. Um, and I started playing bass because my school had like a, a pretty good jazz program. And uh they had too many guitar players and i was auditioning late and i was like well i just got a bass like can i play bass and they were like yeah you can they're not enough bass players so like totally go for it and i got way more into that than i ever did for guitar um and i i started practicing a lot um and one of the re- the way i got into jazz after like being kind of like a rock guy was i went to high school with this piano prodigy named austin peralta um, I don't know. Have you ever heard any of Austin's music? No. He he passed away a while ago when he was really young. Um, but he was sort of like a he he was like a, a legit prodigy. He he had like cut records with Ron Carter when he was thirteen. Really? And oh god, he was on That's the crazy. first Thundercat. Yeah, he was an alien. He was on the first Thundercat album. He played on a bunch of Flying Lotus stuff. Uh, he actually has a record out on Brain Feeder that came out maybe now about 10 years ago, which is wild mm. to me. But um, he was a really special guy. And he, he, uh, we were in the same year and he saw me kind of like get into music and he was like, oh man, you should check out some of these records. Uh, and so he gave, he showed me like a lot of the first jazz records I got really passionate about. Um, and we, even though he was like doing all this crazy like legit touring when he was like 15 or whatever, he would still play in our school's bands. So uh, I played in a bunch of like high school combos with him and stuff. And so he kind of like got me really passionate about playing jazz music, playing improvised music and showed me all about all like the first hundred blue note records. I was like, I had my mind. That's crazy. Blown this kid by. like was, he was like completely out there, like to be 13 and he was, he knew all this yeah. stuff. That's yeah. Mad. He was, it's it's totally a fluke that we became friends and like went to the same school otherwise i maybe never would have gotten into jazz or like been a professional musician Mm. or anything like both my parents are in the arts but i didn't know anybody like my age who was like doing it professionally you know it's like most people don't at that age and he was like already touring the world and doing all this crazy stuff he was like yeah if you like if you 
really care about this. Like you can do it if you if you get your shit together. And I was like, oh man, I'm gonna get my shit together. Um, and so it was like a total fluke that uh, that we just I happened to go to school with this guy. And then from there, I ended up going to college for music. And um, some point in college, like I I got a little less dogmatic about like only listening to 60s Blue Note albums and kind of rediscovered a lot of the rock music I really liked and mm. realized there's like a there's a point where all these places meet in the middle and they're kind of they're kind of part of like a very similar continuum of of sort of like American popular music that you know there's there's sort of like a through line between all of it you don't actually have to choose between any of these sort of genres or traditions you can kind of like be a part of all of them simultaneously and and so I, I think like a part of my sound is is kind of comes from that having like a lot of backgrounds and sort of listening playing to a lot of rock music and a lot of super gnarly modern jazz and then being obsessed with like motown and funk music and stuff like that and that, that you know in a lot of ways i think they're all they're all part of the same same tradition like there are definitely a lot of through lines and i mean even just talking about jamerson i mean like if you listen led zeppelin wouldn't sound like led zeppelin if Paul Pond, uh, John Paul Jones wasn't a big Jamerson fan. Yeah, you know, Ramble on like, is there really is Jamerson more than that's how exactly. Like, if you listen through and even the Beatles, like you know, Paul McCartney, another big Jamerson fan, like the, these things are all connected. Um, and yeah, so I, I don't know, I, uh, I feel like that that's something that I, I, I care about a lot. So I, I spent a lot of time in a lot of different scenes and i think also la particularly is like it sort of incentivizes that in a lot of musicians where um the most people in the scene here tend to make their living by playing a lot of different kinds of music like i know very few people who make their living doing one thing Mm -hmm. um most people kind of do all sorts of things uh and so you're definitely rewarded for that in LA. Whereas like, I feel like in some other places, like you tend to be more rewarded if you specialize, uh, LA definitely like it just, the scene and the culture here, uh, cause there's so many little scenes, like you can work a lot if you're really good at a lot of different sorts of things, mm-hmm. but can still figure out how to sound like yourself in all of them. So that's something that I feel like the professional environment I've been in, uh, since I was a kid doing gigs around town and stuff uh, with like my first high school band or whatever, like that's always been something that I think has rewarded me here specifically that maybe isn't always true in other places. But I'm curious to know, did you have like any serious mentors in your musical in school? Like, cause I was watching you do the, the Dean town video 50 BPM faster, which was fucking crazy. <laughs> I have to say, but, <laughs> but did you figure out your right hand and left oh, hand man. technique? on your own or did you have like a musical mentor who was kind of like this is how you get no i technique. i had a i had a lot of really good teachers when i was just starting that actually i think is one of the reasons one of the things that really kind of like helped let me because like i was like immediately practicing like three hours a day when i first started i was like i got obsessed with it and um my two first teachers were i had a guitar teacher named shay welsh and a uh, bass teacher named Jiro, who really helped me out when I first started. And then in college, I had a lot of really good bass teachers too. I, I studied with Alfonso Johnson in college. She oh, was my cool. bass teacher at USC. Um, and same with Dark Oles and Edwin Livingston. They were all great. 
um and yeah i was lucky enough like i think i'm the kind of musician who like really benefited from having like a structured musical education um like for, i i have the kind of brain that like to do anything simple i need to understand how like the whole system works and i really got that kind of background and foundation from like a lot of different kinds of uh education um and i had my my high school jazz program was really great too this guy evan mm -hmm. avery ran it um and he and because austin was in the bands too like it, it just people were expected to play at like a very very high level and the kind of practicing um that was required to do that was like very much encouraged um but it was still fun it wasn't like super dry and serious necessarily uh yeah i i, I was very lucky i had a lot of really good mentor i mean i could totally foresee a world where i didn't end up doing any of this professionally like a lot of it was just <laughs> same here yeah i happened to be in an environment where i was around some people who were really good at music and it got me passionate about it mm, and i had good teachers who kind of showed oh did... sorry what were you about to say no i, I was just worried about your um your shed time when you were starting how you got that right and left hand down so good like did you really concentrate on it or did it just naturally kind of develop with your mentors guiding you kind of i the first few months i played i really concentrated i i just had some teachers who really showed me how to hold the instrument correctly from the get-go i didn't have to ever correct any bad habits um and a, a lot of the people i've been teaching since uh the pandemic started um because i've been doing some a lot of lessons and a lot of the people who have technical problems that's sort of the thing that we end up having to do is like fix bad habits and it's way harder to do that than like if you are lucky enough to have someone show you how to hold it like more or less the right way when you get started because mm. like I, I have some students who like they can't uh you know they get this thing they they can't put all of their fingers down on the fingerboard you know because the, the crazy they, fingers like, they learned like yeah and if you want to play anything chromatic like that's like a death sentence mm. you know if you can't get your fingers to do it, you'll just never be able to play bebop. It's like not possible. Yeah, no, it's you not. don't have enough time. You can't bring your finger down. Like it's not going to happen. So <laughs> you have to go through and figure out how to retrain your your muscle memory to get all your fingers down as like your automatic process instead of like it being something like you know not like I'm not a snob about technique. Like if I'm playing punk music, I will play the whole set with one finger on the e and a string like that's what that music's supposed to sound like there's nothing wrong with that you know but if you but if that's all you know how to do and you want to play other stuff then you're going to be very limited by uh sort of like not optimal bass technique yeah. uh, and i was just lucky that the people who i who studied with me i'm oh, sorry the people who i studied with when i was a kid uh, the first thing they showed me how to do was just like hold the instrument and play correctly. So that when I did start practicing a lot, I, I was kind of doing the right things from the get go. Yeah. It's, it's for me, I, I definitely have a lot of bad habits that I'm kind of getting rid of at the moment, but you can get away with them playing in rock bands for years. And then recently I was trying to do, um, the chicken and yeah. I was working with, uh, my teacher, Noel, we were doing the chicken up to full speed and my hand was about to fall off. I was like, I need to change my technique because this shouldn't be this hard. And that's the other thing too. It's like, you don't want to hurt yourself. You know, I feel like other than just like uh, making playing easier, it also like you figure out how to like play with as little tension as possible. Like the instrument, you really don't need a lot of force to get a to good tone out of the instrument. It actually rewards like very gentle playing. 
And especially if you've been playing on a lot of rock bands, that's like the opposite of everything you learn how to do. Yeah. And there is something great about like just beating the shit out of your bass with a pick or whatever and just like destroying it. Like that's a thing. Like that's a sound. There's like an aesthetic mm. beauty to that that I like. Um, but if that's if that's your starting point and that's like the way you learn how to play bass, if you have to do other things, it can be very, very challenging. And um that sort of like correct, quote unquote, correct technique is very useful as a starting place. And I often find myself changing it and sort of like making my technique worse. I don't think it's worse, but you know what I mean? Like mm. doing the stuff that rock bass players kind of do yeah. idiosyncratically in a way that like maybe isn't proper bass technique when I'm playing that stuff. Because it actually does change the sound of the instrument. Yeah, well, you need a lot of muting when you're playing aggressively and you can't really do that much mm. muting if your fingers are all in doing good technique you need your thumb over yeah. the top and all that stuff yeah well and it's like i mean you know the way i do a lot of my muting is like if you look at the finger that's actually pressing down that one is great and then i just bar it all over mm. or or things like that like there are ways to do muting with with good technique but it's there's just something about like you know if you listen to a pixies record right like if you play one of those songs in like a single position with immaculate technique it's not going to sound right no it'll, it'll be dead. you have to do it all with one finger on the e and the a string and never yeah. play the g or, g or d strings you know that's what it's supposed to sound like and like that is a vibe there's an aesthetic related to the way that that technique works and like a lot of how i think about technique is like you try to have good technique as a, a sort of like a bedrock so you can play whatever you want and you you don't ever hurt yourself while you're playing but like be aware of like the sort of more aesthetic things that come with different kinds of bass technique and if you're playing like sloppy garage rock music which i love uh you have like i modify my technique all the time to make it make the grime come out of the instrument mm. which if you play perfectly cleanly like if you play like hadrian farad style stuff in a band that's trying to sound like the Pixies, you're going to have like a weird ludo narrative dissonance about how you're playing the instrument and what is happening, you know? Yeah. Like, definitely. that's a great example of like, don't bring an active five string to your garage rocket. Like, don't do that. It's I a saw a guy idea. do that. A guy supported us in London one time and he had a six string thing and he had it up around his neck, like, and he was playing like, and they were like a garage rock band. It's like, this does not sound good. And he's a way better bass player than me, but this is not yeah. working. That's not the vibe. Yeah, no. that's not the vibe. I mean, that's what, like, I, I talk, I think so much about, like, I feel like a lot of people tend not to think about, like, technique as being, like, a, a kind of vocabulary also, you know? Mm. It's, like, the physical process that allows you to, like, express certain musical ideas to some degree. Um, and that's something that I, I, I think about a lot. Like, I... I change my technique all the time, depending on what I do. Like people ask me a lot about like, oh, what's your right, like, what's your right hand technique? Like how, and I don't really have like a fixed one. Like there are things I've done to get like certain things together. But I switch back and forth all the time between like anchoring on the pickup, like doing the floating thumb mm. thing. Like I just, my, my stuff is changing all the time, depending on what I'm playing. And I play so many different kinds of music all the time that there's never like one thing I'm doing other than I don't really like playing slap bass. And I try to avoid it at all costs. You never went through That's, the phase. You went, never had the phase of going I crazy did have on the, the slap. Phase, but I had it too hard and I've had to, I, I you know, I've, I'm reformed now. I've abstained. 
<laughs> a, a reform slapaholic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I can't I can't do that shit anymore, you know. Yeah, but then then you see someone like um Ian Allison do the slap, but he's doing it in a really musical, not cheesy yeah. way. And like, and you're like, maybe I will start slapping again. There there I will say there are there are some environments where it's the right thing. And there's certain people who just get a pass. Like Lewis Johnson gets a pass. His he's the best. Uh Mono gets a pass. Like there, there, there are environments where it's the right call. But for me personally, it's almost never something aesthetically I would choose to do. It's just like, you know how like Chris Dave doesn't play Toms? Mm. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's great for other people. I, it's just <laughs> not for me. It's like, that's how I feel about Slap It's like really, it's really not for me. I really don't like it. And you're not losing any pain gigs. There's no, there's no phone calls coming in to do some I, I mean, anyway. there are not really that many gigs that exist where your ability to play a lot of slap bass is really a prerequisite for getting no. hired, you know? Only As a, a bass player, you kind of have to make those gigs for yourself, and <laughs> I have no desire to do that. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes I laugh when I'm, like, scrolling through Instagram, and there's these guys who are playing these crazy Les, Poole, Les Claypool, Les Clines, and I'm thinking, Les Claypool had to write songs and sing his own songs to be to get away with playing that type of bass on stage. You're never going to get a yeah. gig doing that, unless you can write really good songs to fit those bass lines into it. That's true. I mean, and if those cats want to do that, more power to them. I mean, if people are into, I mean, I've hung with some cats who like that's their thing and they sound great. And it's like, cool, man. Like, sound that's good for you. That's mm. rad. It's just not. It's just really not for me. I just really every. I just really don't like really bright bass tone. For it's just like never something I've liked. I've always sort of liked the more muted thing with the kind of like mid-rangey bark. That's probably why like, I play vintage P bass all the time because it's just yeah. like, oh, this is what bass is supposed to sound like to me. Uh, and when I hear something that has like this smiley curve and it's like mm. so bright and it's you get all the uh, kind of like harsh zingy slap, I just can't deal with it. It's just like really not for me. It's just not my vibe. Yeah, I, I still I go back. I don't ever want to sound like that. <laughs> I still go back and dip my toe in a bit. I used to be in a funk metal band, so and I started getting oh, into cool. city pop recently. Never heard of that type of music. Did you ever hear? It's like Japanese, no. Japanese uh, music from the eighties, and they're trying to sound like seventies funk music, and they're doing it. Oh, better. they're yeah, doing it almost about. better than seventies funk music. It's perfect. Yeah. And I was hearing some of the yeah. slap bass lines, and it's like, I gotta try this. This is these bass lines sound amazing. <laughs> It uh, yeah and that and that being said I'm not I'm like dogmatic about nothing when it comes to music if I express an opinion about stuff like I do, I'm not a big fan of slap bass like there you can always find examples where I'm like okay yeah but that one's killing like Lewis Johnson right yeah, yeah he does everything I just said I don't like he's one of my favorite bass players he's like one of the baddest cats who ever lived like what a fucking monster like yeah he's ridiculous class. yeah no, classic it's just I love, you can't I love how can I love his DVD. His instruction DVD is really good crack as well. He's he's just Oh, like, I gotta see that. I haven't seen it. Slapping the crap out of it. It's on YouTube. He's so good. Yeah, I mean, fuck, dude. Like anyway, but so but it's also like I'm I make a big difference between like there are a lot of bass players who I see who I think are great, who I have no desire to emulate, but I have mm. a lot of respect for what they do. And uh and a lot of the slap guys I feel like that about. I mean, like obviously like I just talked about how much I, I passionately dislike slap bass, but like 
Stanley. I remember seeing Stanley Clark, Marcus Miller, and Victor Wooten when they all toured together when I was in high school. It was great. I loved it. I would go back to that show tomorrow, probably. You know, those guys are all ridiculous. Like, I have no interest in playing slap bass like any of them because I don't mm. like playing slap bass, but they are all monsters and I have massive respect for all of them. So that's like, you know, I don't have like a lot of, uh, they're not m- very many criticisms I will like die on a hill for musically. It's just all music at the end of the day. What yeah, people yeah. want to do, you... it's done well, great. Yeah, no, you don't come across as a hater of slap bass. It's just not your thing, like, which is cool. Because I've had, yeah, I hate, I hate it for me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I've had slap guys on this, and we've chatted about how awesome slap is. Like, everyone is into different things. Like, you know, they tip their toe into different sides of the bass world. But uh, you've got a, a, your own album coming out, like. So I, I think you were mm-hmm. kind of getting into Ableton, where you during lockdown. There's like an EP on YouTube. I was listening to. Yeah. Yeah, I made like a covers EP while I was learning how to do Ableton. So I, I did an arrangement of a couple of jazz standards and then like a song from Rick and Morty. Yeah, yeah. And the then, music video was really good. Really enjoyable. Thanks, <laughs> man. One. That was a good troll. I was happy with how that turned out. I did that with my friend Ricky, who shoots a lot of the Scary Pockets videos. And he's, he's okay. awesome. It was really professional. Uh, it was like, whoa, some production yeah, value. We in did this. it all with a green screen at, at my house, too. It was like peak pandemic too. So like yeah. we, we, no one was vaccinated yet. And we were like wearing masks and all got tested before. And like, we're trying to, uh, and that's why we did it that way. Cause we were mm. just like, that way it was just, it was just us, you know, like it was just me and my girlfriend who we, we live in the same house together. Mm. And, and so my friend just came over and we, we just did it. Um, but yeah, the record I'm really excited about. It's all original songs and everything has a, a different guest singer on it. So like uh and you'll you'll probably recognize a lot of the cats who are on. I have a lot of a lot of my friends have features on it. So like uh Nigel Hall from Lettuce is on a song. Um Theo and Antoine from Wolf are on a couple tunes. Um Jacob Mann's on everything. Michael Mayo's on a bunch of songs. Um who else is on it? Uh, my friend Swatkins is on it, Jacob Luttrell, Raquel Rodriguez. A lot of people I've just been playing with for years. A bunch of my friends mm. are all on it. Um, and it's very, uh, I'll, I'll send you a, a private link to it if you want. Cool, after this. And, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I have, I have a SoundCloud like it. It's very Zappa-esque. It, I, I, think you'll, I think you'll like it. It's like, it's like troll funk music with weird <laughs> chords and <laughs> weird lyrics about nihilism and stuff. <laughs> did you ever think you'd do a solo album was, was it always something that was in your head or just kind of dur- during lockdown you're like you know what I, i'm gonna do a solo album well i i had actually planned on doing it before i did all the rhythm section tracking like maybe two months before lockdown mm. and so the rest of it i had to figure out how to do remote after the basic stuff was all tracked especially since there's so many vocalists on it um but I, I've written a lot of music in a lot of bands. Like I wrote a lot of the Shrek is Love stuff. Mm. And I've always written for bands I've been in and stuff like that. And um, I just felt like it, it was sort of, t- I just sort of felt like it was time to write some of my own stuff. Because when, when you're writing in a band, you're there's something democratic about it. You You don't get to fully be 100% yourself because you're managing... The creative voices of everyone in the band which is great and you often get something that's like better than the sum of its parts that way definitely um but the thing that you lose is like total being in charge of everything mm. you know um and so i just I, I felt like it was important to me to do something where i was really leading the reins uh and really expressing myself 
in a sort of like more unadulterated way. And there's there's a lot of collaborations on the album. Like I, a lot of the songs I co-wrote with this people who sang them. Um, but at the end of the day, it was still sort of my project and the way I produced it and played most of the instruments. And and so like the way it sounds and and the aesthetic of it very much comes from from me alone. Um, in a in a way where you just can't really do that with a band. And I think it's important for people who are creative and who are songwriters to have both of those, both of those experiences. Cause they're, they're really different. And the rest mm -hmm. of my life was all, uh, has all been just like writing for bands and I don't really sing, but I write songs. So I've always been writing for other people to sing. Um, so it, it's like a little harder for me to like, just do a solo record and not sing the music and try to figure out who's going to sing it. So, uh, but I felt like it was important to try to do something like that. And Zappa is like a big influence for me and a, like a great example of somebody who like, he did sing, but he also wrote a lot of music for other singers. Like mm -hmm. that whole record with the guys from the Turtles, I think is like so great. And mm -hmm. it's so funny. Like the whole thing is like a troll. And then <laughs> the end of the, like they play that famous Turtle song and that's mm -hmm. like the punchline. Like I just, I love stuff like that. I haven't, My no, I haven't listened to that one. Let's check that out. It's one of the live at the Roxy ones. It's not the one with George Duke and those cats. It's earlier, I think. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So like that, I don't know. I, that I was, I've been. That's like, it's kind of in that sort of sort of world. And did you find it hard finishing songs on your own? You know, like when you're with a band, a song you might have a song to a certain point, and you're like, I really don't know where to how to finish this. And then the other guys in the band will bring it over the line. Was it, did you get any like frustrating points where you're like, I don't know how to get not this on, to the length, to the end? Not on this one, thankfully. This one, I feel like all, uh, all kind of, it kind of like, it all kind of wrote itself. It was all pretty easy this time around. And, and some of the songs I did write with the people who sang them on the album, there's mm. some of them are co-write. So some of them I did like, I, there's one of the songs, for instance, like, uh, it's called Fancy Jeans and it's about genetics. And I, my friend Jacob Luttrell sang it and I wrote all the music for it and I was going to write the lyrics and I started writing the hook and I was like, you know what, since I know my friend Jacob's going to sing it, it's going to be better if we write the lyrics together because then we'll both be connected to the troll instead mm -hmm. of like him singing my joke, you know? Yeah. yeah. So we fin we wrote the lyrics together. So like, I would do things like that. Um, but then a lot of the music I just wrote on my own and I was like, okay, here's my joke. You're my friend and you're going to have to sing this now. And then they would just do it. <laughs> God, I look, I look forward to it. It sounds like a good crack. Um, did you, had you good knowledge of recording already before, like you started doing this, like doing all the instruments yourself? Like, yeah. So, um, I, I've done obviously like a lot of recording sessions and, uh, stuff like that. And I've been in tons of studios and worked on a lot of records. So. Uh, I haven't done as much hands-on engineering, but it, the album sort of is based on like a live rhythm section performance and then things get overdubbed on top of that. Um, and in terms of like, I, I on the overdubs is sort of where I started doing a lot more of the instruments myself, the original performance. And you'll hear it when you hear the, hear the music, but mm. the stuff you can tell, I didn't edit anything that's live. Anything that was recorded live is pretty much just the way we recorded it. I don't, I tried to keep like the sort of, like for me, I try to make a big distinction between like things that are sort of like more production-y elements and like things that get captured live and the things that get captured live, I try not to change very much, if at all. Um, 
So that stuff you can like tell it's like, oh, these people just did this in a, in a room. And then the stuff that you can tell are overdubs. Like those are the things I kind of spent time learning how to do on my own mm. um, during quarantine and stuff, which was, which was hard, but, but really helpful. Uh, and it's fun to like, you know, I mean, there, I mean, you'll hear it, but there are a lot of like weird animal, like a lot of the snare drums are layered with samples of ducks quacking, just like really <laughs> quietly stuff like, like stuff like that, that it's yeah. like, yeah, nobody's going to want to do this with me. This is like going to be on me to figure out how to do. Yeah. You never would have got that one through to, to the end of the album with a real band, another band. They'd be like, you're not putting the ducks on the album. Yeah. No way. But dude, I mean, it just, all I'm going to say is if you think about a quack and a snare drum, right? Like quack, yeah. quack it actually like the snap of the snare drum and the quacking of the duck they kind of they complement each other well yeah well, i did you might Instagram, not even I did you might not even hear recently. the duck you might not i did a video recently with a bark instead of the snare drum and most people didn't yeah. even notice <laughs> it's yeah exactly it's animal sounds are the best drums but uh yeah so i don't know but i'm really proud of it like i i'm uh i'm stoked for it to come out i finished it in march and then wrote this like second record that I'm going to do in January, like kind of immediately afterwards with my friend Jacob. Um, and so it'll be, it, I'm excited for this to come out and kind of like be in the world so I can sort of move on. But I just did my first gig where we played a lot of the songs from, mm. from the new record uh, a few weeks ago and it went really great. So I'm hoping cool. to do a lot more of it. And then the, the layout of the ensemble is really cool because it's drums, bass, and then it's usually either two or three keyboards and either one or two singers. That's sort of like the way the band functions around it. Uh, and that that's like a really fun group to play with. Like for a lot of my stuff, I liked, I like, I like turning like keyboards into guitars sort of, but <laughs> guitars that like are really good at bebop vocabulary, mm. you know? <laughs> and it, it's like, I don't know. There's something kind of like extra punk rock about it to me. Yeah, like but... for some reason guitar and jazz is like it doesn't feel very punk to me but like like weird fucked up like nine inch nails sounding like keyboard stuffs with like fucked up parallel major chords that just like feel brutal like there's some i love it i was watching the video did <laughs> you were doing a cover of the bo burnham song and the keyboard oh player. yeah with compliments yeah, yeah the, with the, thing in his, the thing in his mouth what you call the uh talk box talk box yeah and it just yeah. sounded fucking crazy like doing yeah. the stuff he was playing dude swati is so funky man i love that guy he he has a great band too called the positive agenda swatkins and the positive agenda his his stuff is super funky he's he's a bad dude and actually a great bass player also really oh yeah you hate, you hate those people oh i'm brilliant at keyboards and I but he's he's too. he's the best he's like the nicest dude ever and we did a scary pockets tour together right before quarantine. And we, uh, I think we're going to be doing, I'm it's, it hasn't been announced yet. So I don't think I'm allowed to say, but, uh, it's looking like we'll be doing a lot more playing together next year too, which will be fun. Cool. And you have, a, I don't know if you're watching the new, the base world news. And I saw the guy out of, I know Ryan Martinez, he's like, he was in a metal band, Mudvayne back in the day, but he got uh -huh. like endorsed by Fedora. So now he went from being exclusively Warwick to exclusively fedora but i don't i can't see you ever doing one of those like exclusive deals like because you all you kind of have a bunch of bases that are your sound like yeah i i've i'm not a fan of exclusive deals like that 
I've had people like send me bases and like I'm happy to I love being on artist pages for or endorsing like companies I like. Um and they're they're definitely a bunch of them like that but yeah it's like if someone if if, if part of the deal of of getting a base from you is I can't play my vintage vendor whenever I want like that's a big no. Hey, hey, that's a that's a deal breaker for me. Um uh, you have a serious collection though like yeah and some weird stuff maybe we'll go through some of them i'll put the pictures up on sure. the screen on the screen yeah I, I wrote down what i saw anyway you have a hagstrom a weird thing yeah, yeah i got two of them actually <laughs> and where did you pick them up with pawn shops kind of was it i found them online so my friend mason stoops who's a great guitar player uh and of and and knows he, i got a bunch of like my vintage knowledge from him he just knows a ton about vintage gear and he hipped me to those bases because they kind of sound like Hoffner's and jazz bases at the same time and most people don't know about them and you can find them for like five to six hundred bucks mm. uh maybe they're a little more expensive now but at the time so i bought three of them and the one that i have here is the best one mm. the sunburst one i actually i need to get it set up i've been kind of it's been traveling and stuff and it got a little beat up so it needs a little assistance right now but um and then one of them i sold to my friend and then the other one I'm having turned into a base six because oh, the scale works for it. Really so cool. yeah. And uh, actually I need to check in with my buddy about that, but it's uh that that'll be really rad, but they're, they're just really great. I, I, um, I had never even heard of that company before, but they're a Swedish company and uh, their vintage stuff is really great. And they make, they're making new ones again now too, I think, mm. but that model is like, there's something really interesting about that model that i really like um, it, it reminds me of the 60s japanese bait a tiesto or something like that or a yeah Greco yeah or the tysco stuff yeah, yeah. Tysco, it's very it's similar i think the build quality for the hagstroms is a little better on overall the tyscos are sort of like i mean any of those sort of like sears brand like sears catalog style instruments uh have like a little they're a little finicky and you find mm. ones that are great and ones that are duds like the harmony harmonies are a great example like the 60s harmonies like some of them some of the best instruments i've ever played some of them total garbage it just mm -hmm. like depend like because at the time they were like hundred dollar instruments and that you could buy in sears catalogs you know they weren't really like designed to be like fine crafted instruments the way that like gibson's work yeah you know uh at the time it's only because there's like they've become collector's items that they've become expensive. It, 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 originally, they weren't. And whenever you have a situation like that, the build quality can be inconsistent. And also, just over time, like they get warped and weird. Mm. And some of them are in really good shape and are, are really amazing. And some of them are like they don't hold up well. So you have to just find the right ones and get a little lucky. Definitely. I was in New York before and I was shopping for one of those kind of bases, something weird like, and I went to everywhere, Manny's, all, I don't know, Manny's isn't even there anymore, I think. I went to all the shops, but they were awful to play, all these old bases, they were like, they just airlines and stuff like that, it's just like, you're, yeah. you're right, it's hard to find one that still feels good because they don't, they don't really last that the test of time as like a Fender or a Gibson might like. Yeah, and even then, like some of the '70s Fender stuff, like I've played some '70s Fender. The Fender, the build quality in '70s gets inconsistent for Fender too. And like, I, I played some Fender '70s Fenders that people were trying to sell for like three grand. That I've been like, dude, this sucks. This, this is not. Yeah. A, this one did. This one isn't a good one. I wouldn't buy this one. Mm. This one's yeah. not happening. Uh, I, and then I, I played I, others that are like, this is beautiful. 
Mm. I was given a few before, like to, to play at sessions and stuff. And I, I, I just I said, oh, I don't think I'll use that. But really, I was thinking that thing is terrible. <laughs> like, even yeah, if it is it a happens. 70s bass. Dude, there's there there are a lot of 70s duds. There are also some seven like this, but the good ones are like excellent. They're one amazing. The the 60s ones tend to all be kind of great. Uh especially the pre-CBS ones. They're like my my 60s P bass is pre-CBS and it's like it's the best bass I've ever played. I never even got it set up when I bought really? it. I took it to my buddy Mike who um who does a lot of my setups and and he's sort of like a, a a guitar whisperer and i i was playing it and i was like i think this is just good right and he started playing it and i was like he was like yeah I'd never change anything about this bass this is good you don't ever want to change this yeah. <laughs> and i never have and it's yeah. it's always perfect did you, i think you say it online you've never even changed the strings on it since you've got it i had i had to recently unfortunately i uh, one of the flats unwound and so i had to put oh. new strings on it which was heartbreaking but i put uh labella low tension flats on it and they've just started to settle in and it sounds really good and actually i can't really it doesn't really sound any different thankfully mm. yeah that's scary but, uh, when and you it, take off the strings you're like oh i hope there's not like some rattle or the truss rod dude, doesn't move a little yeah, I was so I I opened the case and I saw it and I was like, no, no, this can't be happening. And it was fine. But yeah, that that stuff was freaky. So you don't like seem to have like a crazy like I have a few bases behind me, but I I get rid of a lot as well. Like I, you don't, you're not the kind of guy that has like thirty bases. I don't think you kind of have a few. No, for I got sounds. like I got like twelve. Yeah, you know. So I, you know, it's like a healthy collection, but it's not unreasonable. <laughs> healthy, yeah. I'm going shifting. Yeah. I'm getting rid of all my active bases soon. I just like, I just don't get them. I'm like, maybe this is I'm stupid or something. I'm like, couldn't I just use an EQ pedal on the floor to do most of the stuff that all these buttons do? And <laughs> I don't like, I don't like active bases no. either. I'm not a fan. Like, I, I just don't. One of the things I like so much about my '60s P bass and a lot of good vintage instruments is, for me. If you if you if you have a really really good bass, you can just turn the volume up and the tone up, and you'll you can just play with good dynamics, and the bass is gonna do whatever what your fingers tell it to do. Yeah. And the active basses to me, it's like you're constantly fiddling with knobs, yeah, and it's exactly. just it's a total combo breaker for me. I hate it. And like it's just like realistically, who, just who's gonna play it. with them on the gig? Like who's gonna have time? Well, for one thing, the front it's not gonna make any difference to the front house sound. And you're not yeah. going to be able to like twiddle with all those knobs in the middle of a gig. And the only person that will notice the difference is you, or you, you might just mess up your sound completely. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't hang. I mean, I've heard, I, I, my friend, Matt Rubano came over a while ago and we were playing bass. We were doing a bass hang and he brought over, he had a, like an active Federa jazz bass. That was like a vintage style jazz bass, but active. And it sounded really, really, really good. That was one of the few times I played an active bass where I was like, I, this actually has like a real utility. Like I actually mm -hmm. like this bass. And I, he's on tour right now with um, that band Angels and Airwaves. And and he, I think he uses that bass for a lot of the set. Okay. And it's actually really great. The best part about it though, is that there's an active and passive switch. And a lot of the time he just plays it passive. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. And the ones I have, I don't ever play them in uh, active mode. It's just passive all but the price i bought a sire about three years ago and the price uh -huh. has gone up by about two or three hundred euros since i bought it and i've almost never played oh, wow. it so i'm like i think i'm gonna sell this now because it's just it's after yep. going up in value and i don't like it at all i had one active five string fender jazz bass from like 2009 
and um it was like the bass that i had in high school back when i was into slap bass it's a mm. it's a time i don't want to remember you know <laughs> I, it's uh thankfully i don't think you can find any videos of me doing any of that stuff on the internet at least i i really hope you can't but uh i hadn't played it really since like since then mm. and wh when i the day i got my first vintage p bass i was like oh what have i been doing this whole time and I never played it again, and I sold it a couple of years ago. And that was the only like real active bass I had. And you have like a music actually, master. Actually, I have one other one. I have an oh, yeah? active fretless five string. Okay. That actually sounds good. That I actually really like. Do you play it a, a bit like? I mean, when on the rare opportunities, someone is like, hey, can you play fretless bass on this song? Which almost never happens. Mm. It actually is great because it doesn't sound like a Jocko thing. It's not like mid-rangey like that. It actually sounds more like an upright bass. Okay. And it has this kind of like cool aesthetic to it. Um, but other than that, yeah, I almost never, I mean, in practice, it's like the, I can't even think of the last time someone was like, oh, I need you to play fretless bass on this song. Mm. Like, and how, it must are have your, been... how are your fretless chops? Like, are you still good They're at doing pretty the good. fretless? Yeah. Yeah, I can hang. Yeah, I got good intonation and stuff. And so... I, I've actually been shedding a lot of upright bass during quarantine and stuff. One of my... Okay. Uh, I've been trading lessons with a friend of mine who who plays in the Vienna Symphony. So ah. it's got my my stuff's been been getting I've been getting more together. I used to like uh I used to when people would call me to play upright bass, I would just give them other bass players numbers mm. and just be like, "Oh man, uh you are now going to call these five people instead of me. You picked the wrong person." And now I'll actually try to do them. Unless really? it's like really fucked up hard modern jazz in which case mm. it's still like I can't play like I can't sound like Ron Carter on no. a bright bass yet. I'm just like not quite there yet. It's, you know, it's a hard, it's a hard instrument. Um, but for like to double on it, like I, I feel like I can kind of hang now. Yeah. For singer songwriter stuff, you'd be perfectly yeah. fine. Like, or even like show tuney type mm -hmm. stuff. I feel like I could, I could hang and it'd be cool. Yes. But, saw yeah. your man Brady Watt is, is shedding. Do you know that guy Bra Brady Watt? He's, I don't know him personally, but he's a great bass player. He's shedding the, do the upright a lot lately. He's bringing in oh, cool. hip hop gigs and stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, dude, I mean, that's a lot of like early 90s, like all that, a lot of tribe stuff is like all upright. I mean, Ron Carter played on tribe, you know? Yeah. All the samples are, really, are always upright, aren't they? They, they come, they a lot kind of them of, are. They they jump out of the mix really well on all that old hip hop yeah. samples. Yeah, and, and it's a lot of the old like a lot of the earlier hip hop stuff. Like they're they're coming out of the R and B and jazz tradition. You know that's where they pulled all the samples from. So it's like to me that like totally makes sense. Mm. And you have a music master as well. It's kind of the mystery <laughs> with the mystery pickup that you nearly told yep. everyone what it was, and then you decided, yeah. no, I don't want to tell. And I'm not even yeah. going to ask you to divulge it, but <laughs> tell us about the bass anyway. Sure. Yeah. So I bought that bass from a friend of mine and uh, it originally just had regular jazz bass pickups in it. Cause I, I don't know if you know much about those music masters, but they have those like weird oh, strat pickups in them. Uh, they, they were sort of like for kids. They're like shittier Mustangs kind of, and like harmony or any of the other kind of like cheaper vintage models. Um, you can find really good ones and really bad ones. And my friend had one that he sold me as a backup. He was, it was his backup touring base and the neck and the body was just like felt really good together. Um, but he had kind of like sort of standard Seymour Duncan jazz bass pickups in it, which sounded fine, but it's sort of, they sort of sounded a little bland to me. And I wanted to do something that, that was uh, a little bit more interesting and distinctive sounding. 
uh and so me my friend mike and my friend mason um came up with the idea for the mod uh, and then my friend mike did it it was sort of based on a uh a bass that uh gabriel at echo park guitars built for me uh and so it's like it's sort of all of the four of us it was kind of like a, we kind of all shared the idea it sort of based, started on based on something that gabriel did and then the three of us were kind of like oh well what if we turn this bass into something kind of like that but different and then we came up with with the stuff and it's been sort of the secret weapon it's ever cool. since it's and, really cool yeah thanks man i love it it's it's that and my p bass are basically the bases i use on everything and the music master it's like the bass that i feel like i sound the most like myself on a lot mm. of the time which is which is cool and i think like I don't know. I once I started playing it and people started seeing it, they like I start started getting like I was just deluged with inquiries about what the pickups are. I'm and put, I, I I'm like putting I, out there, it looks like a diamond in the neck slot. That's not what it is. <laughs> okay. But, but uh, I just like I have a very contentious relationship with my phone and the internet, and if I feel like I have to be on my phone all the time, I'll just shut down. And so after a while, I was just like, I, I just can't, I'm just not going to tell anybody what this is. Mm. And that way I don't have to be on the internet anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that's good policy. Look, it, keep it secret. You know, it's, w w it's okay to keep one thing secret. I'm not sure about one guy yeah. who's like cover up all their pedals and put dummy pedals to c confuse people. That, that's going a bit far, but with this one base, yeah. that, that's okay. Yeah, it's just I don't know. It's a thing I did with my friends, and like, it's like our kind of our thing. I don't want I don't know. I just don't want it. I just don't want it to be public right now. That might would, change, you know. Yeah. Although I, people who have tried to copy me are going to be really fucking pissed when they find out all the their pickups are wrong. <laughs> what about a, a signature <laughs> bass? Would you ever do one like uh, in your? And uh, would you do out in crazy? Like if you were doing one with like shapes or kill switches and stuff. If I were doing a signature bass, it would be more minimalist, probably. Mm. But I'd do one. Yeah, there was a company who wanted to do it. Uh, I would I would do a, a version of my Music Master. Yeah. And yeah. actually, it would be great for me because I need one I can tour with because I don't mm. like bringing that on the road because if anything happens to it, I have to build it again, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> and it's got a crazy so I actually, co the color. You couldn't replicate the color. It's a really weird patina on it. Yeah, it's like, and it's also just been like fucked up. Like I've I've taken that bass like all over the world. Like before, I modded it. Now that it's like, kind of like one of a kind. I like don't want. I just like, you know, airplanes destroy instruments. I don't mm. want to travel with it. I just I get squeamish about that kind of stuff. Um, so I I actually do need, I do need a version of it that I can play places. So <laughs> that might be something that needs to happen in the future if uh if there's a company interested in in doing it <laughs> <laughs> did you ever see that um uh overdrive pedal is it called the taurus or something and the, the guy only made like a hundred of them and he he got this uh black goo and he put it on all the transistors inside in the box when he finished and he closed them so you know you can't replicate it and they're worth yep. like like half 20 grand or something crazy even more like yeah <laughs> that's some extreme level to go to to stop people from knowing what's in the box dude i mean i have a friend who who makes um these amps out of projectors and that are really great and he does the same thing really and i i, I totally get it yeah yeah because people got... will try to copy your work you know yeah you gotta and protect you your like... intellectual property in some way like yeah i totally get that um 
but that's I haven't heard about those distortion pedals. But I be, I believe it, man. I mean, the gear collecting world gets a little a little crazy. I like I got lucky, man. I got my '60s P bass for like thirty five hundred bucks. You know, I probably wouldn't spend that much more than that on a bass. Period. <laughs> yeah, I I got my number one bass for three hundred dollars or three hundred euros. Yeah. It was a it's an Aerodyne Japanese Fender, but it was all rusted and you oh, couldn't cool. you couldn't move the knobs. And I was like. Uh, well, I don't really care that I can't turn on the j- the jazz pickup. I only want to pick the P bass one anyway, so I just bought yeah. it and k- kept it that way. <laughs> it's fine. That's awesome. I mean, dude, a lot of the time, like the best stuff you play is like, yeah, my music master. I bought it from my friend for like eight hundred bucks, and then maybe the mods were a few more hundred. You know, it's like nothing. It's but it's just the one I like. It's just a good one. And like I remember, I was uh I was playing like Joe Dart's jazz bass one time. Like we I, he was in a town and we were hanging out. Mm. And it's just like a Mexican-made jazz bass. Like there's yeah. nothing special about it. It's just like a totally normal bass. It was it was just a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even like Jacko's bass of doom is just a really nice bass. Uh, it sounds yeah, it's just a bass. Yeah, it's just a bass. Yeah, this is good. And yeah, what, what so it's think- like definitely. What do you the, think of the Joe the, Dark signature with one knob? Like, what? I've actually never played it, but mm. it sounds good. I mean, yeah. it sounds like a passive Stingray. And I like uh, my friend Joe Ayub came over and brought over. They've been making like more passive basses, I think. And he brought over like a totally passive Stingray that's like the Joe Dart one, except it, ha- it does have a tone knob, mm. but it's not, it doesn't have active electronics in it. And it was really good. It sounded cool. It was similar. It felt more like a P bass in, in some sense. Um, so I think the Joe Joe's bass kind of does that. It's like half P, half Music Man is sort of what it sounds like to me. It has the brightness of a Music Man, but it's not as zingy because there's no active electronics in it. Um, but I've never played one, so mm. I don't know what it feels like or anything like that. But I've heard him play it in places, and it sounds great. It's very honky would be the word, um, I think. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you get that, like, there is still a little bit of, you get a lot of that Music Man brightness mm. still. But it's not, it's not, it still has this sort of, like, vintage muted quality. It's not, like, so intense because there's no bright knob mm. turned all the way up on a on the preamp, you know? Uh, and you teach a lot, do you? Like, you have private lessons, but do you teach in schools as well? Because... You did the whole SBL course and you seemed really comfortable doing it. Like you'd done this kind of thing before, like support. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's sort of interesting. I didn't really teach at all until the pandemic. Mm. That was just sort of something I started doing um, when like all gigs canceled. And so I have a, you know, a sort of like mo- a modest amount of student. I do like 10 lessons a week-ish. Yeah. Um, and... And it's just been really great. And a lot of the cats who have been studying with me are professional bass players, which has been really cool. So it's a lot more like, it, it. a lot of the times it feels a lot less like, I'm gonna teach you how to play the instrument and more like, oh, let's just like hang out and talk about the philosophy of music, yeah, which yeah. is like my favorite thing to do. Mm. Um, and I think the Scott stuff, the thing I did for Scott is more in that world than the like, here's how you hold the, instrument like i think i think that's why people reacted so well because of the way you did it you're just like hanging out and it's a it's a really cool course it's not as formal as the other courses like oh thanks man yeah i mean you know i feel like when i think about like my life and like the 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 lessons i had that were like most informative for me they were they often i mean like the the sort of like nuts and bolts meat and potatoes like technical stuff is stuff you do need to know 
but the stuff that I found most inspiring, like a lot of my favorite lessons with some of the best teachers I had were not the ones where we played anything. They were the ones where we spent the whole hour just talking about music and what it's like to, you know, like some of my favorite lessons with Alfonso were the ones where we didn't play anything. And I asked him what it was like to play with Wayne Shorter and like what kind of responsibilities you need to have when you're in a band like that and like what's mm -hmm. expected of you. And those were the most important lessons that I had with him, I think. And most of the people I've hung out with, the same with like hanging out with like cats like Austin, like, you know, obviously like playing with him and having him tell me like bit technical things like, oh, on this chord, you should think about it this way. That stuff's all great. But when I really look back and think about like the most formative moments I had with him is like a sort of like peer to peer mentorship sort of situation. It was the moments when we were like hanging out at high school you know, at like one at like one in the morning, listening to bootleg Coltrane albums, like talking about how they made us feel. You mm -hmm. know, that was like the stuff that mattered to me the most. That's like the stuff I remember. Yeah, like I don't really remember when I learned how the modes worked or like what they mm -hmm. were. You know, like I learned that stuff, and I remember I kind of remember being taught it and like being like, oh yeah, this makes sense, and like it's super. You need to know all that stuff. Like, there's tons of stuff you can't not know you know like you have to know how the mechanics of music like what the grammar of music is and part of being an educated musician is knowing all that stuff but that's not the stuff that i like i i remember passionately you know i remember like being stoned with my friends and talking about like why a love supreme is like the best jazz record ever you know and like <laughs> pontificating about it for like four hours you know what i mean like and a lot of my best lessons with people are like that. They're not mm. like, you know, I mean, some of them, like if, if people are having like specific technical problems or like don't know how to, or having like, want to know about theory or whatever, like that, that stuff I do with people also, but that's not the stuff that I feel like that makes people care about music. And I definitely haven't gone through music education. There are a lot of people who show you, like you can learn the nuts and bolts material from music almost anywhere at this point. Mm. Uh, but the stuff that kept me like inspired and passionate that made me want to actually like go to theory classes, you know, are like the people who like made me understand like why it's important, like what, what you are communicating with these tools. And that made me excited about like learning the tools. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I just like that. I guess I like, that's like, it maybe if I have a, I, I I've been teaching for so little time realistically that, maybe I'm still figuring out like what my teaching style is. And I, I don't know how much I'll do it in the future necessarily, but I think if I do have like an aesthetic for that stuff, that's, it's definitely in like that area more in the, like, I'm going to show you how to double thumb or slap bass or <laughs> yeah, yeah. how to do this lick. Right. Like I don't play, I don't use licks. I think mm. I just like, I just try to get everybody to like sing what they're going to play and memorize like how different sounds work against different chords and, try to get people to have good technique so there's no filter between their ears and their playing you know mm. like i try to do it like kind of holistically i'm not i don't like show people altered scale licks and yeah, stuff yeah. like that like, i don't i don't need i don't even have them like i'm sure there's things i play that i play sort of consistently mm. but i don't i don't like think about music that way so it's like i i don't know that's like more my vibe than like the here's a structure like i don't know it's just not my thing yeah, it sounds really good. I've actually got lessons off three different bass players in the last year and I hadn't had a bass lesson in nearly 20 years until yeah. until uh, the last year. And it, it was great, but it was the three, it was the same thing. We were just hanging out and 
talking about music definitely wasn't learning licks or anything like that that's i think that's the best way to teach people like i think so too man and and granted it's like you really need a you have to have a lot of stuff together already for that kind of lesson to to matter to you Mm -hmm. you know like if if you're at the place where it's like you're just learning how to hold the instrument then like you got to do that first, you know, and mm-hmm. then like maybe play smells like teen spirit or a couple simpler songs that you could be like, Oh, I can see where I can go with this or something like that. Um, but that kind of like more philosophical approach to, to art and to music is like, that's, that's, that's my favorite thing. That's my, if I, if I am going to teach, that's like usually what I like to talk about. And so like for the Scott thing, when they, they asked me to put together a thing, I, I try to think of something that could be like, sort of like arcane and cool but also was like not like the, the the pentatonic thing is like it's not really about licks it's more about like thinking about harmony in a creative way and like i wanted to try to invite people to like think about you don't like have to think about it the standard way there's like all these other ways you can think about how to connect chords together and like here's some examples and now like you figure out some cool shit and mm-hmm. like you'll be surprised you'll be like that's that's what improvisation is about it's like you figure out some cool stuff that other people haven't thought of before and like see what it feels like yeah so just to explain to people listen what your course was it, uh, i think you could explain it better than i would so your spl course sure. it was five short 15 minute videos and basically what were you trying to get people to learn in the in the course yeah so the i think uh, the lesson's called like punk pentatonic voice leading or something like that you know it's funny i filmed the thing i've never actually seen the finished product <laughs> it's really so i don't really, know it's really stylishly done it's super high i'm production. sure it is yeah i i don't have a membership to the thing do you not so, get that <laughs> when, you, when no. you do a course no i mean i guess i could i've just never asked for it but yeah i so i never saw like the finished edit i just i know kind of what i said and i made the plans for each video so i know what i talked about but i don't know what they used you know and I talk a lot of shit, so they probably edited a lot of stuff out, you know, because I'm, you know, I troll all the time and I can't mm. stop it. I can't stop myself. But uh, in general, what the lesson is, the course is sort of about is um, it's sort of about using like pentatonic shapes and patterns um, in a way where they sort of like voice lead within, but separately from different kinds of chord progressions. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of designed to kind of get because most of the time when we think about pentatonic patterns we're thinking about playing like e pen, minor pentatonic on like an e blues or something yeah. like that it's like kind of like the rock band way of thinking about mm-hmm. stuff you know um but there's actually all these different applications for how you use these shapes within like more complicated chords um and the, so the first thing i talk about is like you know which is something that a lot of people have, have talked about where if you start like normal minor pentatonic pattern on a different interval over certain chords you get different sounds over that chord so like the most common one that i start with is using like a an a minor pentatonic on a d minor chord right like a fifth above the root so you get the fifth the seventh uh the root the ninth and the eleventh right instead of the root the third the fourth the fifth and the seventh like all Mm -hmm. the chord tones you get all the detentions instead and the color against the chord Mm -hmm. sounds really particular um and kind of getting people used to thinking about like these shapes against different chord sounds and sort of like the parallel structures um and then as it goes on 
it becomes more about like taking a chord progression and then instead of like playing changes in like a bebop way you're using only these pentatonic shapes that voice lead in their own parallel paths through the chords mm. um and they all work to get so like the last example i use is like on the bridge of green dolphin street if you start a fifth up on the two chord so like in c on the d minor chord if you start on a and then just go up in half steps every time the chords change you actually get a voice leading structure that works with the chords but you also have like the pentatonic scales that are moving up in half steps and they kind of create like a parallel voice leading system mm. and most of the time people think about playing changes by like thinking about what modes are being used or what kind of altered scales they can play at what times or like which arpeggios they're supposed to play and think of like playing pentatonic patterns as like the basic thing that you learn when you yeah. first play the instrument and it's not true it's like a basic organizing structure of music but they're also because they're incomplete partially right they're just five notes you can move them around the same way you move around triads or voice lead complicated mm -hmm. harmony with just a set of triads so that's sort of what it's about it's about kind of like uh the sort of it's about sort of like how modular those shapes are mm -hmm. as like a organizational pattern in music and like how to kind of manipulate them across different kinds of harmony and then at the end of it i sort of like try to tell people it's like the stuff i did in this example there's just like this is just like one example there's all different kinds of examples you can do on all different kinds of tunes. Like you figure out some stuff that you think sounds cool. Yeah. And that's sort of what it's about. And it's like, I think a lot of the time, like when people talk about improvising over chord changes, they, uh, especially in like very formal jazz education, the people start by like trying to tell people what the rules are, which make, makes sense. Uh, and that's definitely how I learned. Um, but sometimes people I think don't, uh, they can sometimes neglect the part of it that's like actually you can come up with like your own ways to navigate through chord changes mm. and like that's like part of the fun thing of doing it it's like there's a creative aspect to it it's not about like learning patterns or licks it's about like using these patterns as vocabulary to like try stuff out that people haven't really done before Mm. Yeah, so I didn't. That's get sort to, of like what I was going for. It was really good. I didn't get to the end yet because I don't like to consume stuff that way. I like to pause it and learn. Yeah, what's totally. So like, yeah, I, I know um, Gary Willis um, touched on that thing in another course. And exactly. I, yeah. Almost, I thought I understood it, but I was doing it all wrong. I was just going. I was just going up a fifth and playing my pentatonics in that. But then on your course, I saw you were combining the two. The, yeah. The two of them together. And then the extra notes it gave you. And then was, that was kind of light bulb. I was, oh, yeah, that's really cool because he's getting those extra intervals. He's not just going up a fifth and now he's playing in that pentatonic. You combine the both of them. And that was really cool part of the course. I was oh, just thanks, man. Copying, copying yeah. what you were doing. I was just pausing it, rewinding it and learning the, the solo you did at the start. And, was, and even just that little bit was oh, enough cool. to kind of get it, get, get it into my head. Sick. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. It's like there you can like, um, you know, it's almost like a triad pair kind of thing where it's like when you think about like how piano players think of harmony like or when you're writing for a string quartet or something like that like you can represent like really sophisticated ideas with like three notes on the right hand and a bass note on the left hand right like if you play a d triad and a c bass note 
Mm. Like you can express a C major seven sharp eleven chord with four notes. You yeah. know, like the pentatonic patterns are like are like that. They they're like sort of nimble and modular, and you can express bigger ideas with like simple concepts uh, if you're creative about how you use them. And so that's that's sort of like what that whole thing is all about. Yeah, it's cool. And it sounds very jazzy, like when you're combining them because yeah. you're getting those extra it notes. Is. It's, it's really modern jazz. It's like super modern jazz. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool to, for people to see that, like you can still get more out of the, the pentatonic than just going do do up and down rock, rock bass, E, minor kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And, and even kind of what we were talking about at the beginning, like about some of my roots, like I love rock music. And so like being able to play pentatonic shit over all jazz standards, you know, like it feels kind of punk rock to me like that whole thing about like going up in half steps on green dolphin street the reason i kind of thought about it is like not because i was like thinking about like the arcane music theory elements of it you know i mean there is some of that because like i i just know how that stuff works but the reason i did it is like i remember playing like garage funk jams with my friends after hearing mccoy tyner for the first time and just doing the thing where you don't really know how to play outside the changes yet. So you just go up in half steps over and over again, because it sounds out, you know? So the thing in my lesson basically is that, except it actually works over the chords and it just, it, there's, it feels nostalgic to me. Mm. Um, and so that's why in that example, that's the voice leading pattern I chose. Cause it evoked this sort of like nostalgic emotion of like, not knowing how to play something correctly and there's something kind of cute about it you know but yeah. weird and it like it evokes a lot of feelings in me of like my own life so like i i, th I can't remember if i said that in the video or not but like to me it's like there's also that element of like why you choose to do certain things like like matters a lot too, mm. not just like the knowledge itself like that feeling of like it just up and up and up and up that i like have an attachment to that you know <laughs> well I do, it's amazing that things don't phase you like you know you definitely don't suffer from imposter sin imposter syndrome easily like because you weren't phased by getting asked to do this sbl course and you said you didn't really do much education before that is that is that like your philosophy just take things as they go or is that just the kind of guy you are? Yeah. I honestly, I just like don't. Well, I think I have like really thick skin about the internet. I just like don't care what people say on the internet mm. at all. It's a, uh, maybe it's just because like both of my parents are in the arts. And so like I, I grew up with like a, I've seen both, both of my parents like take a lot of shit and then get a lot of praise. And I know that it's just like a pendulum that just moves regardless of what you do um but yeah I, I guess just my general philosophy is like i i think what scott's doing is really cool and when he asked me to kind of you know do some stuff i was really flattered and a lot of the people he's interviewed are friends of mine and i really respect a lot of the other people in his program and i wanted to try to contribute something that uh i thought um i could talk about well and i thought it would be fun and cool. I didn't really think about it much beyond that. <laughs> That's definitely the best way. <laughs> if you'd really yeah. overthought it, it would just been like the lesson would just been overwhelming for people. So being yourself yeah. is definitely the way to go. I mean, and it is amazing. Like when you don't care about what's said in the comment section, 
you're like kind of free to do whatever you want. Mm. It like doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah. uh, Most of the stuff, I mean, I do have this thing, this folder on my desktop called the internet thinks you're terrible, where I'll save the really funny mean comments about me. (laughs) And I've been doing that for a long time, for years. Really? Um, Yeah. And I mean, just from being in Pomplamoose and Scary Pockets videos, like, I mean, I've probably been in like, combined with both bands, maybe like 250 of their videos. And like, Mm. across all of them, I don't know how many millions of views they all have. I I get ripped apart by people all the time. As much as I get tons of praise from yeah, people, yeah. but like once you, you know, I, when I first started appearing in a lot of that stuff, I would read the comments, and most of the, even the people who like you don't know what they're talking about most of the time, and the people mm-hmm. who don't like you usually don't know what they're talking about. It's very rare I'll come across like a YouTube comment that's critical that's like good faith and has something i can actually take away mm. from it you know it mostly is just like this guy looks like he's a serial killer or something like that <laughs> or he looks like quentin tarantino it's like there's nothing to be gained there's no wisdom to be gained in the youtube comment section no and I, so i just don't ever think about it i literally spend no part of my life thinking about it at all and you wouldn't just ignore it you prefer you just look at it for the fun like you you can't just say i'm never going to look down there dude I mean, some of that shit is funny, man. I, I like the, some of the, the mean ones that make me laugh. I love the ones that are just mean and aren't funny. I think those people are idiots. I have, I just don't care. But yeah. the ones that are funny, that get saved for sure. <laughs> That's a, you're the only person I've met who has that healthy attitude to internet trolls. As long as you don't feed them, if you don't comment, if you can just save them on your folder and don't comment then they're not really getting anything back out of it oh yeah no you never comment you never comment you never engage that's the thing the internet you you, the internet the internet is truly the void like you just you dispose your content in there and you just don't look at any of the feedback i mean i guess people look at analytics and stuff like that but i there's there's no there's no wisdom to be gained in comment sections anywhere all it is is like it's like the id of the human species it's just all terrible (laughs) <laughs> yeah, sure. uh, my band we did a gig a few week, few months ago, and we didn't make the poster, but someone else did, and it said on it, "Here to save rock and roll, Crow Black Chicken." That's the name of the band. And then I got a comment there t- yesterday. Some woman said, "Male misogyny again." It's <laughs> like I don't know what to say to that. Yeah, <laughs> right. there's nothing. Yeah, it's just I'm just not going to say anything. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, there's just no, there's just no point. There's no point in engaging with the, it's. It just doesn't matter. But because I just like, I just don't really care. Uh, I just like, I'm just trying to have fun with my friends, you know, like I really like Scott a lot. I think he's a great dude and I think he does great stuff. And it was fun to work on some stuff with him. I think we might, uh, we haven't talked about this formally, but there's, a, I, I was talking to one of the, the cats in Scott's camp about maybe doing another one. So I'll have to think about what my next one's going to be. Cool. Well, thanks for hanging yeah. out. Um, look forward to getting this one out there. I can put. I'll put all your links. It's easy. You're. It's. It's Nick Campbell destroys on everything, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, got my branding together, man. <laughs> That's very good. Google optimized, as they say. Dude, you know, I mean, it's just with a name like Nick Campbell, it's like you got to do something to set yourself apart. Like, there's so many Nick Campbells. Yeah, in what's the, world. the guy from Evil Dead's name? He's Campbell, isn't it? Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell. There you go. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Well, I'm Stephen McGrath, and it turns out there's another bass player in LA, and I keep getting messages from people asking for autographs. I'm like, no, I'm not that Stephen McGrath. He plays with um, Billy funny. Idol. He's the bass player in Billy Idol. 
Oh, no way. That's and so I, funny. And I spell my name a weird, well, for a European way with a PH. And I was hoping he wouldn't, but he actually spells it exactly the same. So, oh, no. <laughs> it's yeah, okay. The name confusion. He's not on social media. So, if you're ever, that's ah. why I keep getting the messages. They're like, oh, man, I saw you with, with uh, Billy Idol. I'm like, no, that's the wrong bass player. Yeah. But, Dude, well, someday you'll have to just send, you'll have to send them just your own autograph and see if they, if they notice or not. Yeah, I was thinking of doing that. I was, or I must like get I him so. on here. Steve McGrath base talking to Steve McGrath base. That could be interesting. That would be really meta. Very postmodern. <laughs> yeah, I'll get on to him. He's not really on the internet much, but I'm sure I know people yeah. that know him. You, everyone in LA, you're kind of like a family in LA, even though it's a big town, big city. Obviously, a lot of you know yeah, each other. Yeah, this community here is pretty small. I actually don't know him personally. Um, excuse me. Um, but yeah, the the one of the things I really do like about LA is the scene here is does feel very. It, it's really how do I put this? It's very communal considering how competitive it is. Mm-hmm. You know, there's definitely like everyone has does things at a very high level here, and that part of the scene is like it definitely is 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 there like uh but there's also it's not like the cut the competition is like a lot healthier than it is cutthroat at least in terms of like musicians playing with each other and stuff like that um and there's like a especially right now it feels like there's a really a really beautiful community here cool well i'm looking forward to hearing your album is it will it be out like in the first quarter of next year is that kind of the release plan for that's it? sort of the plan i think yeah i'm i'm kind of seeing if i can get a little label help with it just to get it sort of past my instagram but if not mm. then i'm just going to put it out myself so uh if i don't put it out before then i'm going to get bored and never put it out so i'm going to definitely put it out by the beginning of next year for sure spotify and Bandcamp, all the usual places yep yeah, all the stuff. And I'll send you a SoundCloud link for Deadly. it, too. And, Obviously, and make, it's private, so don't share yeah, it. But of course. And make yeah. another music I, video, because that, that was good fun, the one you made. We actually, I actually did. I, oh, I found cool. a guy in New York. He did a, an 8-bit video for the song I did with Nigel and Swati. Called, uh, it's called Drinking Gin at Arby's, and it turned out great. It's, it's fucking awesome. I'm really stoked. That That's, that's going to probably be the first single on the album, and that, that, that one turned out real good. Cool. Well, I'm going to hear it before the rest of you, but I'll yep. I'll, I'll put it up. On, <laughs> I'll put it up when it's out in uh, next year, anyway. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, dude, right. thanks, man. Great talking to you, dude. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, dude.